0: Relevant content for our members, by our members. This is TMC Connect.
1: Well, good afternoon, everyone. This is Rich Sorbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative uh, here with the Rundown with Rob and Rich, joined as I am every other Friday by Rob Chrisman. And as usual, we're starting the conversation with some random unplanned (laughs) non mortgage industry talk. Uh, Before we went live, we had about a five-minute discussion on Pepperidge Farm Milano Cookies. Uh, which Rob was furiously scarfing down uh, before we got started here, and uh, they have. Uh, we're just talking about how they've withstood withstood the test of time. Yeah, so Nerf products and Milano cookies. Uh, I guess no matter no matter what changes, they they stay popular.
0: You know, it's a uh, <clears throat> when you when you look at a consumer product like that, whether it's a, a cookie or a mortgage, um, uh, the the, the the thing is that when you when you strike a nerve, when you have, have a successful recipe and you gain a reputation, uh, it's a great thing. It's a very good thing. So like anyway. 30-year fixed-rate mortgage has withstood the test of time, right? It's not it has. Here in the United States, unlike uh, most other countries around the world, which don't have 30-year mortgages. Remember
1: the 40-year fixed-rate mortgage craze? It was like 10 or 12 years ago. I think the agencies actually came out with it. and They it, it got little to know. It did, there was very little demand based on what they were expecting, and it just fizzled away, right,
0: if I remember correctly? It fizzled away. Um, uh, as I recall, yeah, there wasn't a lot of demand. You have, uh, uh, boy, you're, you're, uh, I'm trying to dust off the cobwebs of my memory because I believe some countries have a forever mortgage um maybe someplace like Denmark or Japan or someplace that uh, you just make payments and when you pay down the principal you you do what you can to pay down the principal but it just goes and goes and goes so yeah you have to uh, I think loan officers oftentimes weigh the uh, <clears throat> or look at look at uh, you know alternatives to the standard 30-year and 15 year mortgage packages Um or options, you know, you've got arms and so forth, or you know, intermediate arms. Five, you know, three, three doing five, three doing ten, whatever it might be. Um, but the uh, uh, you have to match that with what investors want to see, and investors may not want a forever fixed rate mortgage on their books. Uh, they may not want a thirty year mortgage on their books, and and I'm often asked, Rich. Um, you know, Rob, why do you always mention the ten-year Treasury? Why do you why do you mention the ten-year yield and what it's doing in your commentary? Uh, and I and I have to admit that as you know, when I talk to MBS traders, they trade uh, you know as a spread more to the, the five-year Treasury, sometimes even the uh, three-year constant maturity Treasury, maybe the seven-year, but no ten-year. And the ten years become kind of a benchmark. It's easy to it's easy to discuss. It moves around a lot less uh, with a lot less volatility than a 30-year bond. Uh, and then the the closer, the tighter maturities you know, two-year, three-year, five-year don't move around as much. So the the financial press and everybody is kind of settled on the ten-year. But that doesn't mean that MBS traders even look at the ten-year. They're looking at something that most uh, more closely matches the duration of a typical mortgage these days, which is You know, could be three years or five years, maybe seven years. Anyway, we digress.
1: Uh, This is the rundown with Rob and Rich Uh, for all of you just getting logged on here uh, every other Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, taking a whirlwind look around the mortgage industry uh, at all the latest happenings. And Rob, a couple of things you mentioned there that I want to touch on in this episode Uh, investor demand for US mortgages. Uh, Been a lot of talk in our network. Uh, These last couple of weeks about private label securities, making a comeback with some of the pullbacks from Fannie and Freddie, uh, non-owner occupied, and some of the other things that could be coming down the pike from the agencies per the amendment to the Fannie Freddie preferred stock purchase agreement um, that is now finally starting to get uh, some mentions in the news, uh, despite the fact it was inked um, in mid-January. I want to get into all that, Um, and as always, we want to make this show interactive um, please, your questions, comments, jokes, anecdotes, um, please feel free to drop them in the chat of the Q&A. I already see a bunch of stuff in there. Uh, people already wanting more on the UWM Quicken, Fairway, uh, Battle Royal, uh, comments on uh, Milano cookies, and uh, a note about the HAMP, that the 40-year fixed-rate mortgage was used for the HAMP product. That is right, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah. The carp loan that Kevin Pranio and, uh, was calling for that, uh, any chance of that, that was his, uh, the, uh related to the pandemic forbearance. Uh, I forget even what the acronym stood for carp. Remember? Like fish? Yeah, it was, it, it made sense. His whole argument for it. It was something related to people coming out of forbearance. Um, and you know, a lot of marketing fun you could have with that as well,
0: but, uh, you know, when I, uh, Back when uh, dinosaurs roamed the earth, and I got into this business, one of the jobs of a capital markets person, or secondary marketing it was called back then. What didn't have the glorified title of capital markets was to find investors who would be interested in something other than a Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA, fifteen-year, thirty-year product. And so you would go out, and oftentimes, or I would go out and talk to uh, you know, retirement plans, mutual funds, whoever basically had the money, local savings institutions, credit unions, and say, you know what is it that you want if you were going to invest in mortgages and in, in residential mortgages, what kind of attributes would you like in a pool of loans? And so you were able to structure uh, things like that, like the uh, fabled, now fabled CARP loan, apparently, uh, that that Kevin mentioned, but uh, you were able to do that, and that that kind of thing has died down significantly since you know 2006 2008. There's not <clears throat> you don't quite have that amount of flexibility, but you're right. It may come back with the changes that the agencies have made, and of course, it's very easy for a the agencies to to shrink their footprint because uh, all they have to do is price themselves out of the market or uh, you know, scale back on a product like they did with second homes and investment homes to to set the seven percent level, and under the guise of you know risk management, or uh, let let's put an adverse market fee in when there's really no adverse market, or the adverse market. Uh, we're all waiting for the adverse market to appear, and it doesn't seem to be. Uh, and I get a lot of questions about that half point, but the. Uh, the ability for lenders to create new products has been has been hampered since uh, you know the financial crisis and, and uh, you know there's there's some there's some logic there but with the agency's move with second homes and investment products, there is talk about the private market the, the fabled private market uh, coming back into mortgages. but loan officers and everybody on this call need, need to remember that, uh, private money comes with a price. And for example, uh, if, uh, uh, you know, Rich, you're a nice guy, I like you all that, I know you're out there shopping for a home, um, potentially, and if, if you go to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, they're going to give you a, you know, three and an eighth or three and a quarter, whatever 30-year rates are now. If you came to me because there was some reason that you weren't going to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? One and a half percent. <laughs> no, I, I know a lot of loan officers who do uh, uh, second mortgages or bridge loans, and it's 10 and 2, man, 10 and 2, 10% and two points up front. And that's that's kind of the going rate. Um, so private money has a cost. So, oh, let's bring in private money. Uh, that's not Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac's problem. That is the originator's problem and the borrower's problem in terms of uh, accessing private capital, and private capital wants a return, and, and we've seen a lot of private capital. I'm kind of going down this tangent here a little bit, but since I'm uh, in a ranting mood today, um, you know, when when companies were going public, the you know United Wholesale, uh, Rocket, you know whoever Guild, uh, HomePoint, and so forth, the majority of those companies were going public because. The companies that uh, had invested in them, the hedge hedge funds, private equity, and so forth. If you if you talk to a, a fund manager or somebody in private equity, they want to double their money overnight. They want to double their money overnight. Anything that takes longer than that, or anything less than doubling, they're not overjoyed with. And so, when you talk about private money coming into and whether that's non-QM. You know, some of the non-QM lenders who are rolling out, uh, who, are, who are advertising now, we do second homes, we do investment properties, or whoever, they want to return on that money. And they, uh, right or wrong, view that product, second homes or investment properties, as having greater risk than just a standard uh, 30-year fixed rate owner-occupied loan. So they they want to return. And so, yeah, they could come in, but there's going to be a price. And I think people need to remember that.
1: Without a doubt, I want to get into this a little bit more. And uh, for our audience, please, uh, we want uh, feel free to chime in with your thoughts as well in the chat or the Q&A on this topic or any other topic uh, on products that have withstood the test of time, like uh, Milano cookies and uh, Nerf products and the 30-year fixed rate mortgage in America. But I think, and we've been talking, some things that we've been talking about for a while that we felt like could come to a head are coming to a head now. Um, one is, you know, the cost of lumber and the impediments to new construction and a burgeoning inventory issue in America. Um, the other is the pullback of the agencies. And so to to just, you know, recap what is happening. On January 15th, um, Mark Calabria um, and FHFA um amended the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac preferred stock purchase agreement document, um, essentially saying um, we're not going to privatize Fannie and Freddie, but in an effort to prep them to be released from government conservatorship, uh, want these steps to be followed. So the 7% cap of any loan sold by a lender um, to the agent. And I think it's just Fanny that has said something to this point, but the Freddie, it's coming any day now. Um, That was in there directly. So That was the first domino fall. No more than 7% of loan sales can be non-owner investment properties or second homes. Um, The next line in there is no more than 3% of purchase loans sold to the agencies or 6% of purchase or 3% of refinance can have two of these three characteristics either below 680 fico over 90 ltv cltv or over 45% back end ratio so that's 678 um 95 or 92 or 93% loan that's not a horrible deal um those can now not represent not yet but expecting that's the next domino to fall here cannot represent essentially more than three, 4% of your total loan sales to Fannie and Freddie. And it's just now starting to make news. NAR had been all over it from the get-go. I think MBA kind of adopted a, we're just glad they're not taking them out of conservatorship approach initially. And now I think they're starting to get some pushback from their members. And Housing Wire ran a piece yesterday where MBA penned a letter expressing all, and there's other things too, caps on lenders, can sell the agencies a max of I think a billion and a half in any rolling twelve month period to the cash window and some other things too. Have you heard anything from from your readers on this?
0: The uh, uh, a no, b uh, this is why people watch the show every other week because of the information that you just gave out. Um, there there are. Future caps. It wasn't as if uh, all of a sudden uh, uh, the federal we had a taper tantrum. The, the Federal Reserve starts tapering off their asset purchases, and the market reacts, and we have a taper tantrum. The FHFA, the Treasury, they they have pretty much told us what's going to happen, what they want to have happen, and uh, you know, pick your reason for for why they would tell us. Uh, or why it's going to happen, you know whether it's their risk profile, whether Mark Calabria just wants to sh- shrink their footprint in general, whether they um, want to shift more product to to non-QM investors or FHA, which is not exactly probable but but they're, but they're shrinking their footprint or they're at least changing their footprint. And they have given the market, as you just detailed, uh, you know, their their thoughts on what's going to happen. The uh, One of the, the big things, Rich, Rich, when you ask about the emails that I receive, it's more about the implementation. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the good news is it impacts everybody in the industry. The bad news is how are we going to implement this? How is Fannie Mae or, or Freddie Mac going to track this? Uh, and, and so how from a uh, you know, day to day loan officer, uh, capital markets person's perspective. How how are they supposed to monitor these things, uh, or is Fannie Mae is, is going to give them a warning? Is is Fannie Mae just going to call them up on a Tuesday morning and say, hey, no more no more non-owner or second loans this year or this month? Or I mean, there's a lot of confusion about that, and I'm sure the agencies are spending their time with that. But you know, the the the, the gauntlet has been thrown down, or the the warning shot has been fired. It's it's in there. Uh, the question is how will it be implemented? And frankly, the uh, you know Mark Calabria has never ever been a friend of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Uh, it's it's it was an interesting appointment uh, made by the Trump administration to put you know it's like putting uh, an oil lobbyist in charge of the EPA. Uh, something like that so to put Mark Calabry in charge of two entities that he's not a big fan of uh, is a very interesting strategy and we're seeing that now I would expect that at some point the the Biden administration will somehow look for a replacement in which case some of these uh, some of these things may be repealed uh, but I wouldn't hold my breath but for now I think originators are really focused on, Closing the loans that they have in their pipelines that were locked in January and February and early March, they're trying to get those funded on time without extension costs or renegotiations or whatever it might be, and then they'll then they'll kind of take a breath and take a look at it come the early summer. But for right now, everybody's just kind of uh, focused on focused on funding their pipeline and, and trying to make some hay while the sun shines. They haven't considered this too much. I'm I'm sure they will. They'll they'll have to right.
1: Yeah. And and right now, as I understand it, Biden can't fire Calabria, that there's a case with the Supreme Court. It's expected to have a ruling June, July, from what I've heard, that could change that. But even if it does change that, even if he does fire Calabria and bring someone else to head FHFA, it would be surprising to undo steps that are putting the agencies on a path to exit conservatorship, although it does fly in the face of really Biden's the hallmark of his housing plan um, really was affordable housing, first-time home buyers, first-time home buyer tax credit, um, and home ownership. ownership, And these changes, you know, they they impact most that first-time home buyer and you know, people kind of on the periphery that uh, want to, you know,
0: yeah. Now to your to your point, you, re- you bring up a very good point there. You know, Second homes and non-owner-occupied homes aren't exactly uh, in the charter of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac uh, to promote home ownership. Those programs typically are used by more affluent people, typically not first-time homebuyers. You're typically not buying a rental house before you buy your home. And so the, the argument could be, well, this, isn't, this is really impacting a minority or uh, uh, the minority of borrowers, um, and they are tend to be affluent, or do they really need to buy another rental house and get a loan from Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac? The answer is probably no. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Director Calabria's position uh, in the Supreme Court ruling uh, in the early part of the summer and, and where we go from here. But which which coincides with roughly, as I said, a lot of these locked pipelines as they fund and are sold into the secondary markets, you know, in April and May and June that are locked now, uh, it'll be interesting to see what the pipelines are replaced with. Uh, you know, there's, there's uh, the, the purchase business has been interesting to watch. We were talking before the show began about the... Uh, uh, some of the inventory issues or the inventory issues everywhere. Uh, I know that uh, earlier in the week, uh, you, you had Eric Roman on the show. I believe that you brought up the topic of, of the fact that there are more now, uh, there are now more realtors than there are home listings in the United States, you know? So that's it's very telling. But yeah, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they they continue to evolve. You know, every week they're making announcements, they're doing some things, and they have Regulators and politicians on one shoulder, and lenders and consumers on the other shoulder. It's a tough, it's it's tough, tough place to be for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and and Mark Calabria. So, you know, the continuing saga continues.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. I mean, they're you know massive cash registers for the federal government. You talked about the half point your joke in your email in your newsletter this morning was funny still waiting for that adverse market I mean outside of forbearance there's really no delinquency <laughs> you know there's a, a crazy demand for housing um you know where is this ad- adverse market that uh, there's akin half a point uh on all refis for um you know and then you know just embedded into the cash pricing of any lender that sells to the agencies um is a lot of uh, you know embedded inflated guarantee fee um, that goes to the federal government directly as well. I mean I you know I've talked about it before on this show. I remember being a cap markets guy and uh, negotiating at one point I think like a 16 and a half or 17 basis point guarantee fee uh, when you could do that with the agencies now from the smart people I talk to that can crack cash pricing, they're saying everybody's got a G fee in the mid50s. So, roughly embedded into their Fannie and Freddie cash pricing. So, that's 38 basis points in rate. And we know what that equates to in price um, in every loan, separate from the adverse market fees, separate from loan level delivery fees, separate from all that. And right now, it's fine because the Fed is buying the living shit out of the bond market and keeping rates low. So, it's hard to argue too much about it because they, but what happens when 30 year fixed rates are four and a quarter and four and a half? It's hard to undo those things, right?
0: Yeah, uh, it, it, I remember what uh, Tracy King uh, Donadio said a few weeks ago uh, uh, on the borrower side about credit. You know, we, the, the more good news, the bar, borrower's credit in general tends to, tends, tends, it's looking pretty good right now. You have a lot of people out there, uh, the savings rate is above 20%. Uh, they haven't been spending a lot of money, their credit cards or credit card balances are down. Credit reports are strong, so that's that's some good news. That's creating a lot of competition for these houses. Uh, but you're right. Uh, you know, when rates go up, and and we all knew at some we all knew at some point they would right. The the pressure uh, uh, is, is for rates to go higher uh, because of the stimulus packages and because you can just feel. Um, you know, I'm not a horse guy, but. Uh, I can imagine like if you were riding a horse and that horse was straining and just wanting to go and wanting to run faster, <clears throat> which would terrify me, but you can feel that horse, you know, feel it. Um, the economy is, is, is kind of like that right now. There's, there's a lot of pent up demand. Uh, you know, I want to go to a conference and, and shake hands with you and, and have some cheap Chardonnay, uh, before the end of the year, maybe even this summer, um, uh, you know, I want <clears throat> to. I want to go travel. I want to uh, go to go into a bar, or restaurant. I want to see my friends. I want to uh, go buy a new uh, necktie, or you know, whatever it is, a pair of socks, or something. And a lot of consumers have been sidelined, but their credit is very, very good. To to Tracy's point from from a while back from a Partners Credit. So so the the economy wants to move forward um, when. And that typically drives up rates. And so, if we get to the point where 30 year fixed rate rates are in the fours, yeah, then I think Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are going to have issues with their guarantee fees. They're going to have issues with the adverse market fee because maybe there was never an adverse market. And especially when you're constricting second homes and non owner occupied loans. because of their risk profile, well you are lowering your exposure to an adverse market. So why not give us back that half a point? Um, and so <clears throat> but the problem is and I've used this analogy on the show and try not to yawn while I use it, but if 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 you're in a a little community, and they decide to build a bridge, and they're going to charge a dollar toll to cross that bridge. OK, yeah. And and when and when the bridge is paid for, they'll eliminate that toll. Well, you know what? They'll, they'll never eliminate that toll, even after the bridge is paid for, because the politicians and the government in general are not going to rail against the government or politicians, but they're used to that income. They like having that income. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, oh, they need to be recapitalized. Well, you know, looking at their current uh, revenue, it'll take decades to uh, get them to the point of really being recapitalized. Uh, But nonetheless, the government likes the income that they're bringing in. Uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac obviously like the income that they're bringing in. I don't see them uh, removing uh, the adverse market fee ever. I think they'll just get used to it. Uh, I think they'll keep G fees where they are. And fortunately. The G fees uh, you were talking about, you know, negotiating a G fee. Fortunately, the G fees, for the most part, as far as I know, are pretty uniform across every lender. So that's good news. So it's not like they're singling out Rich and Rob's mortgage and giving us a fifty basis point G fee, uh, and uh, you know, Ryan and Sarah's mortgage up the street, they only have a thirty basis point G fee. Um, you know, there's not that discrepancy like there used to be. So that's. That's a little bit of good news, but it's quite a juggling act that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have to go through uh, with regard to risk and return and pricing, market share, and so forth. They, there's a lot going on there.
1: Yeah, and that is part of the PS, the Fannie Freddie PSPA amendment, um, that that they maintain that equality on GF from lender to lender to not you know play favorites or allow people to negotiate that down and to give advantages to the larger lenders. And I encourage everybody. It is a public document. If you just Google Fannie, Freddie, PSPA, January 15th it is a public document. You can read, you can see the blueprint of what is likely coming um, You know, with the agencies. And uh, again, surprised it hasn't dis- generated more discussion, but I think it will now. So uh, this is the rundown with Rob and Rich. I'm Rich Swobinski with the Mortgage Collaborative. Here with Rob Chrisman, and uh, a lot of ch- uh, notes have piled up in the chat here. Um, and I
0: need to, I need, to, I, Rich, I need to interject. I need to uh, uh, pat, the, and I don't often do this, as you uh, probably may have noticed, but I need to pat the Mortgage Collaborative on the back because you guys had some big news break today. You want <clears throat> to, you want to spend a minute or two telling, telling, uh, the, the viewers about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not the self promoter, but, uh, it, yeah, we started a, an emerging technology fund for our members back in November. Um, essentially, um, our members can, um, it's, so it's a fund, it's a, it's a pledge fund. So it's not like, you know, with your 401k, where you put money into a mutual fund and you have a manager that's making investments for you. It's a pledge fund. So um, you have the ability to invest in opportunities that you want to, and you don't have to invest in individual opportunities. You don't. So it was structured cool. And uh, yeah, we launched it in November. It's taken off. I didn't, because things were so busy. I didn't know know, how quickly it was going to get out of the gates, but it's been great. So we have a group of about 18 members that have been really active with it, assessing a lot of we're getting a lot of new looks on emerging technology options or like our first investment uh, with Maxwell. This is they've been a partner at TMC for three or four years now. It's an established point of sale company that is raising money to expand what they're doing. And, uh, yeah, our members liked it and uh, decided to collectively invest in it. And we've got a couple more investments uh, that we're going to be announcing in the weeks to come. Uh, But, yeah, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool thing that we're doing. And it's kind of like a, you know, a benefit of membership that, you know, you're not going to find on our website or anything. But uh, always trying to keep our finger on the pulse of ways we can uh, create value creatively in in non-traditional ways. So very neat. Very neat. So, um, getting back to um, the chat, uh, Joe Lindau, my buddy here in Cleveland, reminds me that the forty-year anything over a thirty-year fixed was deemed as non-QM as part of the whole uh, QM thing. So, yeah, I thought
0: I thought so, but I wasn't uh, sure enough to blurt blurt that out. Uh,
1: we have. Uh, did you know NERF means, stands for non-expanding recreational foam? I never knew that. I never knew what NERF stood for. Uh, we were t- And for what? those of us, we we're talking about products that withstand the test of time.
0: I was going to say, Rich, what chat room are you in? Yeah. <laughs> right,
1: yeah. And then uh, we have a call for uh, us to, to demand government justification of the adverse market fee. Um, since they are accountable, it's the federal government, but I think it would just be too easy for them to say delinquencies are still 6%, even though it's a forbearance inflated number. And uh, right. And that, you know, there's, I don't think it would be, it would be tough to get anybody from the government to provide an accounting of the the adverse market fee. Right. Yeah. I
0: don't, I don't, I mean, I wish I could snap my fingers and have that happen. Uh, Really the fortunately if you think back 10, or 12, 14 years, the, the huge tidal wave of foreclosures that a lot of experts were suggesting was going to happen did not happen, A, because investors uh, bought properties, B, because borrowers were able to uh, 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 you know make their payments, or C, you had big corporations come in and buy up homes, uh, buy up inventory of REOs from banks and so forth. Um, so the the tidal wave of foreclosures to really push values down a long way never really happened. When forbearance was initially introduced through the CARES Act, a lot of the quote experts said, "Oh my gosh, you know, there's, there's going to be a tidal wave of delinquencies and foreclosures when forbearance rolls off." Now, granted, forbearance has continued to be extended, but I think that the stimulus packages and I think that the uh, just the, the market itself, the economy, is to the point where we may cross that bridge to where forbearances begin to roll off, and we don't see a tidal wave of anything uh, because the demand is so strong out there. So you're right. I don't. I don't see the adverse market, uh, and I'm sure if we had somebody on 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 the call with us today from Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, they would, they could, they could argue. Uh, against that. But personally, I don't see the adverse market that they have been, that they that they talked about. So.
1: This yeah. is the rundown with Rob and Rich. We've got about 10, 12 minutes left here, and we got to touch on the Rocket UWM fairway just because it's so amusing to me. But before we go there, uh, I kind of opened the show today, at least the mortgage part of it after the Milano cookie talk um, about private label security market so we've had a lot of members come to us like hey can tmc or is there you know uh because you know essentially what's happening is um i think it was redfin that put out a report in the last week that just invest non-owner occupied investment property transactions are up like 81 percent year over year right all the people that made money on GameStop and are getting stimulus money that don't need it, they're evidently buying uh, investment properties. So then we've had on the other end, um, the agencies put the the clamp down on non-owner. So, you know, what we're hearing is that there's, there's there's more demand for investment property financing. There's less options right now to sell it to the agencies and not a lot of other alternatives out there because all the aggregators are kind of falling in line. And so can a private label, can private label securities fill this void? So for the lay person, Rob, explain what a private label security is. And is there, do you think any chance of um, some private entity um, providing some kind of solution for what seems to be like a, a mismatch between demand for investment properties and a clamp on the financing piece of it?
0: Sure. The, it's, a, it's a very broad stroke uh, when you say private label securities. And when people ask, like, what is a private label security? The easiest thing to think about is, or the easiest way to explain it, and it's not entirely accurate, but it's pretty close is to say anything that's not backed by the US government. Uh, FHA, VA, going into Ginnie Mae Securities, Ginnie Mae Securities have an explicit government guarantee. Now, granted, if something goes wrong with a loan, the servicer has to pony up some money until the government steps in and makes them whole. But those loans, those securities, Ginnie Mae Securities are backed by the US government. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have an explicit, I'm sorry, implicit government guarantee. Uh, so that if something really goes to hell in the handbasket, it is thought that the government will step in and and, and help. Everything else, uh, you know, when you look at jumbo loans, when you look at non-QM loans, uh, some of the ARM securities that are out there, almost anything else is what I would term a private label security. It is, it is. Morgan Stanley issuing a residential mortgage-backed security. Goldman Sachs. It is Wells Fargo issuing issuing a residential mortgage-backed security that Wells Fargo says, "Well, we have enough jumbo loans, so let's issue a jumbo or a a security backed by jumbo mortgages." That is, a, in effect, a private label security. So it's it's a big bucket uh, that that different things fit into. Uh, but basically, the, the easiest way to think about it or explain it to somebody is, 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 is a security not backed by government-backed loans?
1: So let's think about this. So, you know, so Fannie and Freddie cap uh, sales of investment properties and in second homes, 7% per lender. Uh, lenders that I've had co host the last week in Mortgage Today, I'm trying to pick all their brains on it. Most have told me they immediately examine their pipeline. And there was a little bit more than 7% in there and they had to make some adjustments. Um, but you know, I've talked to other lenders where they had 18, 19%. So they're really scrambling now. They've priced these loans out from a guideline and price perspective to the agencies. They're not having to go to the aggregators that are adding fees, anticipating this, right? Not wanting to get adversely selected with all the, this was going to Fannie or Freddie and you know, just get hammered with investment property loans. So even with those increased fees, so let's just say for argument's sake that, you know, aggregator A, you know, puts an arbitrary, you know, two and a half point hit on all investment property loans. Like the private, like, could, is, do you think like, even if like somebody, a, a private label security issuer were to come out and maybe just, uh, Try to buy investment properties at like like cherry pick the market, essentially, like 70% or below 750 and over. I could see that happening,
0: right? Absolutely. I, you know, at, at some point, and the thing that that you've, you've learned when you're really in capital markets or you're trying to sell a car or trying to sell, uh, you know, a Tom Brady rookie card, um, it's supply and demand. And at some price, somebody will buy an asset at some some risk profile some price somebody will step in and buy you know that purple Ford Pinto that's been in your garage for you know 30 years somebody will buy that Tom Brady rookie card for a million three somebody will buy Michael Jordan's 15 million dollar mansion you know at some price somebody will buy it the question is though at what price and you're right you're spot on. When they, when Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, or say Fannie Mae came out with that announcement about seven percent, and hey, here's what was laid out some months ago. It's no surprise, and here's what we're doing about it. The the immediate reaction within a day or two from you know Chase and Wells and City and all you know all Penny Mac and AmeriHome, they 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 their fees shot up by two, three, four, five points because that is the quickest way to turn off the spigot. Uh, it, it, in terms of a product coming through their doors, because they didn't want to get stuck with it. And there's some pretty smart guys and gals in those companies in terms of capital markets and saying, OK, if private money, if we have to, if AmeriHome, for example, I'm just singling out AmeriHome, I'm just you know, using them as an example. AmeriHome example. says, all right, we're going to get a bunch of non owner and second homes, second home mortgages in here. And you're right, they could be 30, 40, 50% LTV, cherry, cherry loans, great loans. But if we have to issue our own security, if we have to go to the rating agencies, Standard Poor's, Fitch and Moody's, uh, and we have to use an investment bank and pay investment banker fees, and we are going to create a security for second homes, non owner occupied homes. This is going to be the hit that we expect to see out there, you know, whether it's three points or five points bid back of where normal Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac first lien mortgages are trading. So that's the, the best and brightest said, okay, we don't have a price hit. We're gonna we expect a price hit if we potentially have to go to the market and create a private label security backed by you know uh you know Mr. Cooper. You know, Mr. Cooper goes to market and creates a security and says, "Okay, here's a bunch of non-owner-occupied loans, and and the weighted average loan-to-value is only, you know, 58 uh, percent, and you know the the credit score is this, and and give the attributes of the pool." Their thing is going to trade back of regular Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans, because <clears throat> those loans are not backed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They may have used DU or LP to underwrite them, and they may have used the same. Other guidelines in terms of appraisals and appraisal waivers and so forth, but they are viewing these loans as having a hit, and that's that's why within a day or two of, of Fannie's announcement, that so many companies jumped in and and you know jacked the price up.
1: Yeah, we got a couple of really uh, nice insightful comments in the chat. Uh, one is this already exists. Bayview has been buying non-owner occupied for private label for months they just got a pot of gold dropped in their lap. So um, another uh, uh, member of the audience chimed in and said a large aggregator we spoke to confirmed what Rob said about uh, private label securities. They expect to issue as much as four four to five billion in investment property, second home private labels in two, 2021 due to the 7% cap. So it sounds like that there's already some market participants that are lined up and in, in, yeah. in year, so.
0: I, I I think it's fascinating. I know we're running out of time here a little bit, but there's so many things to so many things that are going on right now in, in mortgage banking that are very, very interesting. One of which is the, the borrowers out there, the consumers. Yeah, we're coming off a pandemic. We're hopefully toward the tail end of this pandemic. But so many individuals have been saving money. And when you talk about a K-shaped recovery and some portion of the uh, borrowers are doing very well and others are not, a lot of the borrowers or a lot of people out there, their savings rates are very high. And they've been saving a fair chunk of change here in 2020. And they are ready to put it at work. And whether they are ready to put it to work and buying a first, you know, owner-occupied, their, their first-time homebuyer loan, or you have investors who, you know, they've been saving money, too, and they have cash. And they could very well say, I mean, they, they come, they may have an option to say, all right, I can take this cash that's earning, you know, a quarter or a half a percent, and I can just buy a rental house cash, you know, outbid my competitors and buy it with cash and not not care about Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac's rule or not care about Penny Mac or AmeriHomes you know price hit. I'm just gonna buy it with cash. Yep. And so that'll be interesting to see how if that if that market shifts toward away from financing for second homes and non-owner homes, toward people just paying up paying, you know, using the cash that they've saved up during 2020.
1: Uh, we're just about out of time, but uh, we got a hit on the, the UWM rocket fairway thing. I know you were texting me when uh, Ishbia was on uh, CNBC the other day. I did end up seeing a tape of it. And, you know, it was the typical, like, I don't care if my competitors don't like me. Visit uh, getamortgagebroker.com, visit getamortgagebroker.com. And very competitive guy. And he's a uh, pedal to the metal. Uh, well, no, this the share price is like in the sevens, though it uh, is really not doing not de- uh, not not generating a lot of uh, demand uh, in the investor community. So, any any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, that you know, I looked uh, after Matt said, you know, we're gonna our, we're different because we're gonna keep paying a dividend, and I looked at my uh, smartphone because uh, that's the source of all my knowledge. Uh, and uh, if you look at UWM, you could buy the stock, and, and there's a the dividend yield is four point, nearly four point nine percent, which is a good good dividend yield. The question is, of course, are they going to keep paying that? And that's Matt's point: is that the market doesn't understand us. Uh, we're we're different than others. Uh, you know, you just start talking about purchase versus refi, and here's our focus, and here's what we've been able to do, and we're going to keep paying this dividend. It'll be interesting. I don't know. Uh, you and I didn't talk about this, but it, at least on the West Coast, right after Matt's TV event, up popped a a rocket ad with like Tracy Morgan, I think, looking at his phone, talking about rocket. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if you noticed that, but I, I just burst out laughing. I said, "Well, Matt, <laughs> you know, now we've got a rocket ad." Anyway, anyway, fun times, fun times.
1: That's going to be interesting to watch too. You know, he's betting on essentially uh broker market share, you know, for his company to succeed as a stock company, broker broker, mortgage broker market share has got to go to a place it's never been before in this country to you know 16, 17 currently to about 25 percent. And um you know it'll be interesting to see how it all it all plays out so uh rob any uh parting thoughts for the audience on a uh, friday afternoon here
0: don't deny yourself the pleasure you know life's short you're not going to be on your deathbed saying you don't want to be on your deathbed saying i wish i ate that extra milano cookie for lunch
1: yeah oh, those are <laughs> such. It. <laughs> yeah it's uh universally loved so uh like rob chrisman so uh yeah, with right. that <laughs> this was another episode of the Rundown. Really appreciate um, everybody that uh, took some time out this Friday afternoon. And uh, we'll be back two weeks from today, every other Friday at 3 p.m. And uh, really lucky to have some great sponsors lined up Vice Capital Markets, uh, near and dear to my heart. I'm, I think their third client ever back in my Cap Markets days. And uh, Equilibrium Solutions, who has been a great solution for our members uh, as an outsourcing provider, especially this last year, they helped so many of our members out, uh, helping manage really intense, uh, volume. And, uh, just a note too, talking about conferences, TMC, summer 2021, Terania, just outside. Lots Los- of Santa.
0: cheap Chardonnay will be flowing.
1: Uh, so, gee, I don't know how I, 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 it might be cheap, you know, like eight bucks in the store, but, uh, $40 a glass of tyrannia uh, <laughs> real cost to TMC, but yeah, there will be lots of things flowing for sure. Uh, September 19 to 21 and, uh, we've already opened registration. It's, we're off to a great start. We're expecting a huge, hopefully, you know, we're maybe too big a uh, crowd depending on what's going on with the pandemic, but we'll figure that out later. I guess good problems to have, but, uh, Uh, Other than that, that's all I have. As always, we'll upload this to our YouTube channel and make a podcast out of it. So you can also uh, find this program there as well. And uh, Rob, uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you before then, but uh, I'll see you on this show uh,
0: two weeks from today. So have a great weekend. Thank you very much, Rich. Take care. care, For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.